I'd like for you to open to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, the title of what I'm going to talk about tonight is God has given us his blessings. God has given us his blessings. You will never in this life get tired of hearing this. If you do, there's something wrong with you. Because it was the will of God to bless you. Now, I've been saved 45 years. And recently I've come to, among other conclusions that I've come to, two in particular that I have come to. I've shared this with Bonnie coming to church tonight. Two things. One, I'm convinced that most people who go to church, as well as most of the world that doesn't, but most people who go to church really believe that they're going to heaven because they're not bad. If you ask them, why would God let you in heaven, as I've been finding out all week, most people have no clue. They have religious cliches they can quote, but none of it seems to be personal. None of it has been appropriated to where this is what I am convinced of. It's like, yeah, I think we're supposed to believe this and we're supposed to say that. Uh, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. And it's not personal. It's not like something you're really glad about. It's just some religious orientation into what we're supposed to believe. I'm convinced that most church attendees really do believe that they think they're going to heaven because they're not bad. Hell would be for bad people, you know, the, the people that hurt people and do all these damaging things to people and and hurt children. All of them. Those are bad people. But, you know, I would never be included in a crowd like that. And yet they really don't know why, on the basis of what, they would be accepted into God's eternal habitations. They really don't know. And I think when we taught on soul winning here, I've made a point of that several times talking about it. It's the most important question you'll ever be asked. It's the most important answer you'll ever give. Because if you don't know that in your life, then you're going to just be a religious person, again, with religious cliches that you've adopted in your mind, things that you learn to say, and it doesn't mean a whole lot to you. It's almost like you were saved by a stranger, somebody you never really came to know or somebody you're really not knowing. Now, that's one thing I'm convinced of. A second thing that I'm pretty well convinced of is that the average Christian is not sure at all about being blessed abundantly by God. Now they can read it and they hear it all the time. There's a multitude of books that try to talk the church out of two things, healing and blessings. They're anti being healed and they're anti being blessed because they think that's the wrong motivation for Christianity. Well, I'm not here tonight to tell you that this is what we're in here for. But if I don't tell you that the Bible has that for us to know, then I have not shared the whole counsel of God. Because God does want his people to be blessed. It is the will of God. It's not an option. It's a given that God wants his people blessed. Are you in Ephesians 1 yet? Let's begin in the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus and Shelbyville, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father 
and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even to him. And it keeps going. I think one of the, my favorite books in all the Bible is the book of Ephesians because it just seems like everything there is built to edify. It doesn't get you off the hook if you're not living right because it'll, it'll get to that too. But there's so much here that should make a heart glad. I mean, if a person reads that and that's real and not just words that I spoke, if it's real, if you have experienced some light, some revelation of this to your heart, this is good stuff. This is really good because of all these things that are promised. Like in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath. Does your Bible give it in the past tense? It's okay. It's not something you're trying to get. It's something you appropriate for yourself because it has already been given over here. You can't do enough to earn it. You can't do enough good works, try hard enough to maybe now you deserve something here or you're going to get something. It has already been given to you whom he said you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And along with your sonship comes this inheritance that he talks about that not only has spiritual blessings but temporal blessings in this world and they're given to you. It's yours, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now, you're not talking about temporal things there. You're talking about spiritual things because both are in the Bible. I do believe, as I stand here tonight, not to be negative, but I, I am convinced as a matter of the course of my life through the last 45 years, where I've been, who I've been around, what I've watched people say and what I've watched people do and just watching people and living around people all these years, I'm convinced that most Christians do not are not sure that they can either claim these things or if God really meant it. I mean, will he really bless us? And the reason they reject what God has promised is because they look at Christians and they don't see the evidence of it. I can remember when I first got started in all of this walk, I read these things. Somebody told me this. This went beyond the Christian church that I grew up in because we had to get a tape to hear this. And when I heard this, my first thought was, well, I don't know about that. Like I knew something. I don't know about that. That sounds too good. 
if that was so true, then why don't we see more of it? I mean, these are good people. Why don't we see more blessed people like he says here? I mean, rejoicing people. That's part of it. Glad-hearted people. People that are not trying to get stuff, but living in such a way that it's a father's good pleasure to give stuff, to give it to us. Turn to Luke 12. And as you read this, as you read these things in the, in the Bible, you have to come to the place where you ponder this. Like Psalms 1 said, he meditates in the Lord day and night. And the effect of meditation, pondering, is revelation. God shines in your heart to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God, which is in the face of or the person of Jesus Christ. All things are in him, of him and by him. He's the focus of everything. He's the reason we're blessed. That's the way it should be. Talk about giving God's plan, it being God's good pleasure to give you his kingdom, maybe not by 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. I told you Sunday morning when I first claimed, took my step out, I heard this, somebody taught that or these things. So I said, okay, I'm going to believe that. Now, for some of the things that happened, it was several years down the road till the fullness of it all came. But I think while we were in Alaska talking about it, I mean, I've thought about it many times, but I remember thinking, you know, I claimed all of this. 30, 35 years ago, claimed it. It didn't look like to a lot of people who rejected the message that it was going to work, that I'd been deceived. Well, you know, because it didn't happen right away. It didn't suddenly come. But it was a gradual thing. God tests you. Will you give up? Will you stay back? Are you going to say, well, it doesn't work because it hadn't worked yet? And yet you look back after 45 years and you think, my, 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 how marvelous the goodness of God has been to us, me and Bonnie. That's my testimony to you, to the world. We have not tried to get it. We've only made appropriation of it. We have asked God for it, and it's the Father's good pleasure to give it. And for people who say, well, I don't, I don't believe that, it's too late to tell me you don't, that it doesn't work because it worked for me. And I promise you I'm no different than anybody else in this room. In fact, some of the serious blessings in my early life wasn't because I had somebody supporting me. I was traveling all the time. I had no steady income of any sort. You never knew what was going to happen, where you were going. What, if you said things too strong, you wouldn't get anything. I spoke in a Methodist church in Louisville one night, down on the main part of town, drove from London, Kentucky that night, to drove all the way up here to speak tonight and go back to London to speak the next morning. And I told him that I, that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and told him about the experience. It, I think it unsettled a whole bunch of them. I think it did. Because I got ready to go, they said, well, thanks for coming. I said, you're welcome. Went and got in the car, and that was it. But see, for every one of those kind of trips, God doubled it up on another trip. He always does it. But once you prove that your motive in life is to seek first the kingdom, to preach about Jesus, and to, and to not hold it back, but say what the Bible says to people who need to hear it. I've found that God really does have a storehouse in heaven. That there really are such a thing as the windows of heaven. And God really is willing and able to pour out 
a blessing. Now, while people hear that and quote that and read that, there is still this, well, I claimed that, and it hadn't happened yet. You claimed it two weeks ago? If you stay with this walk, I don't believe you can reach the end of your life without telling me that God did it. God does not lie. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he spoke it, if he said it, he'll do it. Now, he can't lie. He said, Malachi 3.6, he said, I am the Lord, I change not. He, and he doesn't lie like men do. He doesn't. Now, we're either going to read this and take it as God's word and not my word and say, well, that's what he said. I want that too. Or we're going to say, well, I don't know about that. But you're going to get a chance. The option will be yours. Now, Luke chapter 12, have you found it yet? Verse 30. This is Luke's version of Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. But he says it here. Verse 30. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of what? These things. What things? The things that the world lives to get. They rule out any other need in their life except survival and having. Accumulating and being able one day to kick back and say, well, take your ease. The living to have and to go and to be. The world is like that. That's all they know and that's all they've got. They have no assurance of heaven. They hope they're not bad enough to go to hell, but surely they're okay. They really do count on that. Been in church 50, 60 years, taught Sunday school class. Surely, surely that'll get me in heaven. And that, that won't get you in heaven. If that could get you in heaven, there was no reason for Jesus to come. All you need to do is teach Sunday school class for 50 years. And that leaves most of us out because we won't be here 50 years from now. Let alone have a Sunday school class. When the Bible speaks of getting your mind renewed, this is what you renew it with. This is the way we think. If anything, be lovely and true and pure. So think on these things. Well, think on these things. Listen to this. He said again in verse 30, all these things that the nation of the world seek after. Your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things, verse 33, but rather seek first, first the kingdom of God and most of these things shall be added to you. Now your Bible says all, doesn't it? Is it true or not? I'm asking you, all of you, especially, especially you younger folks. Did Jesus say that the things that the world are trying to get, that if you will seek first the kingdom and not be tied up in all of this greed and avarice and, and covetousness, if you'll just seek first the kingdom, be aware of God's promises and acknowledge it, that all these things shall be added to you. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you all these things. Not some of them. Not like the theology today is, well, you know, God knows what's best for you. And if he wants you to have it, he will. Well, he wants you to have that. How's that? Let's use that. This is what he wants me to have. Why shouldn't I have it if he wants me to have it? I lived many years without ever expecting it, so it's not like you couldn't do it. But once I begin to realize that faith is an expectation, that if you believe what God has promised, you expect it to happen. 
When, we don't know. But again, I'm telling you as your pastor, I look back all these years and I can say, it did work. It does work. It worked for me. It worked for us. And we're no different than anybody else. I mean, God blessed us when we went out. He's blessed us when we come in. Truly, everything we put our hand to, God has prospered. And the effect it is has at this time in our life is these things don't mean as much as they used to. They're, they're not the focus anymore. I mean, they're not the, the big deal. I claim a hold on. You know, I've had it. Like Paul said, I've learned how to be abundant. I've learned how to be in need. I've learned to have, have a lot. I've learned how to do it both ways. To me, it's just to be in content with what I have. Praise God, because heaven is becoming more and more real and necessary than anything I'm seeing on this earth. But there's a time in my Christian life that it was really important for me to, to step out and use my faith for these promises. I have got to know, especially while I'm young, if my faith really does work. And that promise is an object of God for you to use your faith on. Doesn't the Bible say, be not slothful? But followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises? I mean, that must be important. You have need of confidence that after you have prayed for these things that you might get them. You can't let go. God isn't wasting breath tonight to inform you of something. Oh, I've heard that before. Apparently not. Not everybody now. I'm not talking to everybody. I'm talking about to those that never heard it. How wonderful it is to not be struggling with trying to get a need met. I have needs. We've had many needs. Don't have to tell anybody about them because the Bible says cast all your care over on the Lord. Make him your source. Ask yourself, what has he promised? Do you know what he's promised? It's what Isaiah said. He said, come now, let us reason together. What has the Lord promised? Let your requests be made known to God. Didn't he say that? He did. Put the Lord in remembrance, he said. You've been learning for 30 years. Tell him what you believe. Go before the Lord like Hosea 12 said. Come before the Lord with words. Go before him with his word. Lord, this is what you said. That's what Solomon said when they were about to be invaded by two armies. Solomon said, Lord, you told us in your word when such and such happened to come into this place and stand before you and that you would deliver us. And when they got through praying and praising the Lord, they walked out by the enemy who wasn't slowed down any. They were still coming after them. After the praise and the worship, Woo! they walked out there and the enemy was just still coming at them. And then all of a sudden, they killed each other. While God's people were watching. You need not fight in this battle, God said. Oh, today that's not something people believe. Oh, if you don't start doing something, boy, you ain't gonna get, you know, God helps those that helps themselves. That's Ben Franklin. That wasn't God. First Timothy 6 17, listen at this. Bible said, charge them that are rich in this world not to be heady or high-minded, nor mind uncertain things, nor, he said, to trust in uncertain riches but to trust in the Lord, then these words, who richly giveth us all things to enjoy. Wouldn't that be nice? Who richly 
gives us all things richly to enjoy. Does he do that or not? Okay, do you want that? Do you want God to manifest that verse of scripture for you along with everything else you're supposed to do? Of course. I'd love it raising my kids. I'd love to be able not only to preach to them, but to take them places where we can have a good time and explain to them, this is the richness of God that has enabled us to do this. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. We're not here for a long time, but we're here to take advantage of our time. He said that this is the thing he does. Turn to Psalm 103. You know where this one is. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. And you know the rest of that. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Benefits, listen, is a recompensing of God on his faithful children. Can I say it that way? It's God bestowing upon his faithful children who are trusting him and believing him for his promises. This is what he does. He gives them benefits, but they belong to all of us. They belong to all of us. These are not for some people. This is for all of those who are God's people. Look at the things that he promises. Verse three and four, forgiveness. Would to God more than anything else tonight in your theological thinking that the first thing that you were captured by as a Christian, that all your sins have been forgiven by God. There's nothing now standing between you and God. You are a candidate to come boldly to God's throne of grace. The forgiveness of your sins is a most wonderful, supreme blessing. You couldn't earn that. Only God could do that, but it's here for you to read. And the second thing he said, that he heals all of our diseases. There's not a handful of Christians anywhere who really believe that. Even though the Bible says it in the same breath as forgiveness. I'm afraid a lot of people said who forgives all our iniquities and put a period there and went to something else. Well, if he can forgive all your iniquities, I promise you he can heal all your diseases. If he can forgive all the rotten things that some of us did, I promise you he can heal any weakness, sickness, or condition in your body. There is nothing too difficult for God. I don't want to give my testimony every night. I could. I'd love to if I thought you'd hold on. But I, I was one sick young man growing up. And when I learned this particular truth, I remember thinking in the early days, how can this be so? I mean, you have to be sick. <laughs> you can't live in this world without being sick. Everybody's sick. Our bulletin, you know what a bulletin is? Sunday morning you gave the order of events, songs you're going to sing and so forth. And they had the bulletin on the other side, the announcement, who's in the hospital, what time the circle's going to meet, and, and whose who's funeral, whatever. And uh, there's always hospital visitation. There's always a whole bunch of those. At least I can say in the 32 years, 32 years in one place, that's too long, but it's, it happened. In 32 years I've been here, how few trips we've had to make the hospital? Let me tell you. See, over the course of time, you have learned 
how to ask and believe God for your healing. We almost let that slip, and I think, no, I don't. I think, praise God. Haven't had a lot of funerals. I've had preachers ask me on, in various times, you know, you have a lot of hospital visits. I said, very rarely. Well, how many you got in your church? I said, you know, 100 anyway. And you don't have hospital? No. If I'd been a little bolder then, I'd have said, because I teach them how to be healed and how to believe God for their healing. He said he would. I mean, he said he would. I mean, again, in Psalms 103 and verse 2, he said he would he'd forgive your sins and heal your diseases. And he used the word all, all of them. Didn't matter what degree they were, what kind it was, what the medical world says about it, it's nothing to God. He can heal them all. Nothing's too hard for God. I mean, if you can raise somebody from the dead, you've done better than, than the disease can do. I mean, all a disease can do is kill somebody, and God comes along and raises them from the dead. I'm just saying that this is, this is a message that a busy church, a do-good church has left aside. It's kind of terrifying to think that if you don't feel good, that you're just going to trust the Lord. Oh, no, I, I trust him. No, man. What am I going to do? Then we begin to doubt. What if it gets worse? Well, what if it does? I've held them when they were convulsing and turning purple, and, and I, everything, in my, everything in my natural mind was telling me not only how crazy I was, but where I was going to, what kind of jail I'd be in tomorrow. And at some point in there, you just say, look, this, I'm in. I'm in. And they go to sleep. They wake up, and it's, again, that one particular child, I don't know if they've ever been sick again. There's something about God doing what he does in a way that he doesn't have to keep doing that all the time. Doesn't mean we don't have trials, physical trials, or trials for healing. We will. Our faith will be tested because we can use faith in that area. Faith is tested in that area. But I'm just telling you, this is a blessing. Wouldn't you like to live all your life and be well? I mean, wouldn't you like to be 81 or two years old and feel good? And get up and be able to walk fast without getting dizzy and lightheaded? Wouldn't you like to just be able to, to live as though God is blessing you? Not to get attention so, well, I just trust the Lord. That's why I'm better. No, you live it because it's his good pleasure to do this. It's his will. Look again in Psalm 103. He protects us. He's our insurance who redeemeth your life from destruction. And look at the favor he gives you, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. That's his personal oversight and protection and care and favor on your life and your house. In verse 5, who satisfies thy mouth with good things. Some versions say satisfies your adornment. Mouth is fine with me. And I would imagine that it has to do with food. Wouldn't you? I mean, if it satisfy your mouth. Anyway, it's something that God knows that we need. It's something that God knows that people pursue. And God makes a point to tell us that this is a part of my blessing, pack of plenty plan for you. Blessing, 
pack of plenty. Yeah, for you. Plus, he throws in at the end of it, for as long as you stay on this earth, God will give you whatever you need to be young, young enough. Restores your youth like the eagles. That doesn't mean a man at my age is going to claim he's going to be 20. I'm sure if it came to some end time situation, God could. I heard of a prophet in the Bible who outran king's horses. Did, did you? Ran across the plains of Jezreel. I stood there, stood right where that happened and saw where they started up that way. And 12 miles down that way, you could see where they ended. My interpreter told me. He said, yeah, it was right here. This is the plain of Jezreel. And they ran down to see that far, just faintly could see that little knob. He said, yeah, that's where the, that's where the Ahab's place was. And that old fellow, I don't know how old Elijah was, but he just girded his loins. They didn't have gym shorts, so you know what I mean. He pulled up his robe to not hinder his running, and he outran the king's horses for 10, 11 miles. I like that. And I'm sure he didn't get up every day and jog 15 miles, get in shape. I just think when the time came that he had to do something, God was more than sufficient for him to do it. And he did good until that woman Jezebel said, I'll have your head tomorrow and anybody wore himself out getting away from her. But it's amazing how much God has blessed his people and all that he gives us and what he wants for us. Listen at, at these words in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 6. Blessings are upon the head of the just. If you have been made right with God, there are blessings that are yours. You may never realize it. Somebody may have talked you out of it, and you never benefited from it, but they were yours. You were just robbed by the teaching. Another verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 10, 22 said, The blessing of the Lord maketh what? Rich. Look at it. Turn to Proverbs. Proverbs 10. Proverbs 10, verse 22, right in the middle of your Bible. The blessing of the Lord is for preachers. Come on now. If anybody's going to get blessed, a preacher should, shouldn't he? Not necessarily. He should be blessed. If you're going to follow somebody's faith, I like to think you could follow something that's working. That's an awesome thing when you're by yourself praying about all of this and you realize that that's pointed at you. You better walk by faith. If you're going to preach it, you better live it. If you're going to live it, God's going to do it. And so they have an example. Look at works. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and what does it say? God adds no sorrow to it. Oh, man, I'm blessed again. Oh, man, I got a check in the mail, man. He doesn't do that. Folks say, yeah, but you get, you know, you start getting blessed and you might just fall away. Well, you could. You could. It doesn't mean you have to. That's just your thinking. You think there's something wrong with money. You live all your life to get it, and now you're afraid of what it's going to do to you. It's true that the love of money is the root of all evil, but it doesn't have to control you. That's what the test will prove. That's what they will prove. And then in Proverbs, look over in Proverbs 28 and verse 20. See if this works for you or see if, if you qualify for this. Proverbs 28, 20. It says, a faithful man what? Abound with blessings, doesn't it? Then why, why isn't the church abounding with blessings? 
They have them. They've been promised. Why aren't they just evident? Could it be they're not faithful? See, you don't want to admit that. I don't mind saying it, but it's true. Going to church doesn't mean we're faithful, does it? Does being here tonight mean you're faithful? Does reading your Bible mean you're faithful? Faith is an act. It's when you take God at his word. It simply means you count on God to do what he said. And the reason most people don't count on God to do what he obviously says is they're really not convinced that he will do it or they're not good enough to get that. And so they sit back and wonder at it and wish they had it. I've been the same crosswords that others have, but there's something in us, in me. It just clicked in. I said, well, why not? It's the way it should be. I mean, if he promised it, he promised it to me. If God made a promise, it's not wrong to believe it. All the promises are what? Yes and amen. He doesn't say, well, the Bible says that, but you know, he may not want you to have that. He promised it. It's like healing in Psalm 103. He promised it. Well, he may not. No, no, that unbelief didn't come from, from God. He promised it. The reason it doesn't work is not because God doesn't want you to have it. It's because we don't meet the conditions for it. There's something about us that's just geared to giving in and giving up and feeling sorry for ourselves. Well, I don't know why and it doesn't seem I try and I've been to church and I go and I give and I do. No. A faithful man. A faithful man. A man who's going to say, I'm going to take you at your word and live like it's true even though I don't see any evidence of it. I know you're faithful. You'll do what you said. And so I'm just going to act like it's true. And I believe I'll qualify for you to do it. I'm going to start praising the Lord and giving thanks to God for his blessings. I haven't seen them yet, but just like, just like Jehoshaphat started thanking God for a victory that he hadn't seen, an enemy was alive and well, he started praising God, and they killed each other, and he got a blessing. Well, faith works like that. We believe that what God said, God will do. It's up to us to act like that's true. But you can't believe something if you're not settled in it. You can't, you can't believe that all this will work for you if you're not convinced of it. Why wouldn't God bless you all? Any of you. Those of you that talk about how hard it is and I don't know how we're going to make it, and this is you, especially you. You didn't learn that kind of language from God. What God has to say is, is right there in your lap tonight. Forget what I'm saying. Forget what anybody else said. This is what the Bible said. He said he would bless you this way. He said a faithful man shall abound with blessings. He didn't say he would be blessed a little bit every now and then. He said he would abound. A-B-O-U-N-D. Is, is that a word? Abound. Flourish. It's in the same family of abundance. More than enough. Would God do that? Would God want you to have more than enough? Are you sure? What about good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over? That's kind of more than enough, isn't it? God can meet your needs if that's all you want. Well, he said, I've come that you might have life abundant, not only the peace and joy as an expression of abundance, but everything else that 
puts things together. Like he said, your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He knows you need all of these things. He knows there's a natural drive in this world to want and to have. It's natural. Gear the energy of that want and have into seeking his kingdom and your heavenly father will make sure that all these things that everybody else is looking for, he'll give those things to you. Wow, Lord, give me the grace to believe that. I want that lodged in my heart. Go back to Ephesians 1. What a wonderful place we started. Ephesians chapter 1. Man, if this was a campsite, you could, you'd have to get in line five years ahead. It'd be so full. Why wouldn't you camp out here? Y'all ever talk about how hard it is and I don't know how we're going to make ends meet and this is pretty tough? Nah. But if you do, listen to this. Verse 3 again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. I started out there tonight. Who hath blessed us. Past tense. Already done. It's accomplished. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now there are temporal blessings which apply to your comfort and well-being in this life. He gives you richly things to enjoy. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe you have received them and you, should, and you shall have them. Things are things. But spiritual blessing, as he's talking about here, supersedes temporal blessings because they have the flavor of eternity in them. But, you know, we talked about inheritance a while ago. Look at this in verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, explain it, having predestinated, predetermined. Before there was a world, before you were in it, God did this. Being predestinated unto the adoption of children, that's what the new birth will bring, adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, that was his good pleasure. That's the greatest thing that he ever did for you and will ever do for you in this life is to save you. Then verse 6, and he hath made us accepted in the beloved, verse 7, Redemption, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Again, the forgiveness of our sins. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redemption. Only God. You could not live a good life the rest of your life. I mean, a perfect life and merit redemption. You couldn't do that. He says here, he said, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Why? It's just according to the riches of his grace, favor, because he wanted to. He singled you out, pointed you, and he said, I want you to realize this as you walk through this earth. I don't want your life to get stale. I don't want you to just get lethargic and dull in the Christian life. Yeah, I go to church, you know. Yeah, we've heard that. Yeah, we've heard that. I want it to be a living experience. Living. A living experience. It's like walking with Christ freshly every day. Never get tired of it. 
Like Brother Tony said last week, it's as, it's as wonderful now as it was 40 years ago. And it is. 45, I still remember when it started. I remember a lot of things in early days. And you know what? I don't think it's ever lost its edge. He said, you still like to study? I said, I don't know anything else that's better. One day, I probably won't get to do it all the time. Everybody said, you're going to have to sit down. But until they all get to hollering like that, I probably just, just keep doing it. I can't imagine in this life anything that's more wonderful than just enjoying thoughts that come from the Lord, thoughts about the Lord, things, thoughts coming together to make a wonderful point. If not for you, for me. My practice sermons far better than anything I say here. I practice in the back. Sometimes I practice. You are not here. Sometimes I come out here and practice, and I think, boy, I wish I could preach like that. <laughs> I do. God's heard me say, I wish I could preach like that. It just comes out. But it was for me. I get blessed <laughs> from hearing me. I, I, I don't know how that sounds if you, out there, but praise the Lord. Spiritual blessings are the things that hold us together. Temporal blessings come and go. You know, joy, money, experiences, vacations, they come and they go. But these things like redemption never goes away. Forgiveness never stops. And inheritance reserved for you in heaven never ceases to be. It'll be there all the days of your life. God's preservation, the revelation that he gives, verse 9, make known to you the mystery, the revealing work of God to us so we can just keep learning more and have more shown to our hearts. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? Look in 1 Peter. There's a matching passage here. 1 Peter chapter uh, 1. It says almost the same thing. Verse 3 through 5, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us or regenerated us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, this is the blessing. To an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Will you get it? Will you get this? If it's reserved, how do you know you'll get it? It says it right there. It's reserved in heaven for you. Who is you? How do you even know you're a Christian and, and this is for you? You got to believe. That's all. I'll give you the best answer because I believe it. I can't make it true by believing it. I believe it because it is true. My faith does not bring into reality something that God said. My faith is based on the reality of what God said. Faith doesn't make it true. Faith counts on it because it is true. And you live like it's true and you act like it's true. That's what faith is all about. It's how Christians live. This is the way it's supposed to be. And that's not all. He also said in verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled faith not reserved in heaven for you. Verse 5, how about preservation? Who are kept by the power of God through faith into salvation. There's that word faith again. Who keeps you? 
Who does the keeping? Say God. God does. How does he keep you? What motivates God to keep you? You're what? Say faith. Look at verse 9. This is where it does. Receiving the end of your faith, what? The salvation of your souls. We ought to preach on faith every now and then. Because otherwise, listen, otherwise, all we're doing is talking, listening, and nothing's happening. The only thing that connects all of this in our heart and challenges and changes the life is your faith in it. You believe it. You don't wonder about it. I don't know about that. You believe it. You start acting like it's true, knowing it's going to come to pass. It's going to happen. God's going to do it. You don't know how he's going to do it. Why would he do it for you? But it's going to work. When I claimed a house in 19, I think it was 74, I wrote it down, I claimed the house. And I remember the thoughts. I'm sure it was the devil. Well, now ain't this something. If ain't is not right, well, now isn't this something. Now, how are you going to get, how you, nobody does that. You can't get, how are you going to, just doubt thoughts, because that's where most Christians are with regard to God's promise. Well, I, you know, I've, I'm sure he could, but I, I'm not convinced he will. So you kind of let go of it and let, walk away from it and wonder why your faith doesn't work. It does work. God didn't give us something to live by that doesn't work. It's just you've got to stay with it. You have to stay with it. Go to my favorite chapter, Deuteronomy 28. I've gone from Ephesians. Now I'm going to go to Deuteronomy. It's my other favorite book. Deuteronomy 28. Well, if a man needs to wear tennis shoes to read this, because he might just take off running. And he gets glad and joyful about himself. And it should come to pass. Maybe not all of a sudden, maybe not all at once, but it shall come to pass. You see that? Let's start there. Now, if we were Sunday morning, I'd start right here, right now. It shall come to pass. It's a sure thing, folks. This is not an aimless statement, an aimless promise from an indifferent God. It is the word of God to you, whosoever will listen. It shall come to pass if, and he tells us these things, if you will diligently hearken, if you will diligently hearken. Now, let me say this about hearken. To hearken means to listen. Pay attention. Now, anybody can do that. You could do that in a classroom to pass a test. But in Christian circles, you hearken and you listen and you tune out all distractions that you can because this is my life. This is the way I want to live. Make it clear to me. I don't want to get it wrong. I want to live like this. This is why you hearken and you listen and you tune in. Now, I've seen many, many, many moments in my life in this church when a lot of people were tuned in greatly. I mean, really, maybe not everybody. I don't go around looking at everybody and make sure. You know, but I've seen a lot of people listening to it real hard. But that's the way you do. You listen because I want to get it right. I'm glad you said it, but you're not my source. Tell me what God said. Tell me where he said it. Let me see for myself. Let me see if God said that. Yes, he did. Thank you, because now that this is the word that he said in Deuteronomy uh, 
32, at the end of this book, he said, this word is your life. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by what? Every word of God. This is how we relate to God, this word and our faith in it. But he said, it shall come to pass, you will diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God and observe to do all his commandments, which I command you this day, that God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. Notice, hearken and observe. Is that what he said? Hearken and observe. Is there anybody in here that can't do that? Hearken and observe. If you will, here's the promise, here's the blessing. Verse 2, and all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And the picture that I get, the word overtake is simply that. It's something that comes upon you. So you might be here going whatever direction and speed you're going. And once you lay hold of this, you start really making an effort to find out how and the way God wants you to live. God directs his promises. Okay, overtake you. It might take them a while to get there, but they're on their way. God wouldn't say, any of y'all want to catch this guy? No, the heavenly father, God almighty. Blessings. There is something here. There's blessings. He spoke to him. He commands blessings. I want you to go and overtake these boys on the front row, all six of them. I'm going to have to knock a bunch of them good upside. I mean, deal with a lot of them. But I want them to learn in this church and in the hour that we're in right now as God's given us opportunity, I want them to learn how wonderful it is to live on God's terms and not miss this in her childhood, in their young life. But get it now. Put you so far ahead of the game. You won't have to be 70 to start praising God for you can be 30, 20. 20 is long. That's old people, 20. But anyway, <laughs> he said, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. You're going so fast. They're going so fast, but they're going faster than, than you are. And you don't feel them yet. I haven't had any blessing yet. I claimed that a year ago and I hadn't had anything happen yet. Set a watch before your mouth, lest you sin against the Lord. God can't lie, can he? If he said they'll overtake you, they'll overtake you. Just keep looking ahead. Quit looking for blessings. Look for the kingdom. They're coming your way. They should come upon you and overtake you. And then he describes them. Boy, oh boy. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. I don't know where else you'd be, but that covers a lot. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. That would be your children. And blessed be the fruit of your ground. That would be if you're an agriculture or farmer, you're going to have a good crop. Blessed shall be your, your animals, your basket and your store. That's where your food is. In other words, God is saying you're going to have more than you need. I'm going to bless the ground you plant. I'm going to bless the animals you grow. I'm going to bless the eggs out of your chickens. Chickens? Well, all right. Anyway, you notice he doesn't mention hogs in here, but anyhow, he says, verse 6, blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. Where else are you going to be? 
other words, God says this is an all-time thing. You're not only going to be blessed when you're 30 years old with some promise you made, but as you keep going, they keep catching you. I'm probably blessed more now in this way than I've ever been in my life, and it doesn't mean as much now as it did because I've already experienced, the, oh, I don't know how many cars have I owned, quite a few. That's just a pleasure. Wherever I want to go in this world, it's one of three places, Israel, Colorado, or Alaska. That's it. Well, that's not much. That's enough for me. And if I want to go, I'm sure the Lord would make that possible. But he said, let me say it again. Like he said down in verse 6, blessed shall you be when you come in, blessed shall you be when you go out. Verse 7, how about the devil when he tries to come against you or your family? He said, the Lord shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Can God make that happen? I mean, when they get wherever they were scattered to, they're going to be scratching their head and say, something's going on here we don't know anything about. How come we can't capture him? How come we can't subdue and defeat that family? How come we can't make them give up and quit? I just think that God is on their side blessing them with something. Verse 8, please read verse 8. The Lord shall. It obviously is his will because it says nothing in here about if you ask for these things, God will do them. On the contrary, God just said, seek the kingdom and these things seek you. He didn't say you even had to claim these things. They're claiming you. They're after you. When, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not even sure how, but they're on their way. Notice. The Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouses and all that you set your hand unto to do. And he shall bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Plus verse 9, the great one, the Lord shall make you holy. He shall establish you as a holy people as he has sworn unto thee. If you'll keep the commandment of the Lord, that's the third time he says that. And verse 11, and the Lord shall, here it is again. He just keeps saying it. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods. And in the fruit of your body, the fruit of your cattle, and so forth. And again in verse 12, and the Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heavens. Let me ask you something, all of you. Why would he do this? Because not only is it his pleasure and goodwill, but because of your response, if. If you will hearken to his words, if you will hide these words in your heart, if. He never asked you to do something you can't do, but if. All these blessings, all these things shall come upon you and overtake you. Folks, it can't get better than this. We may not experience it. We may not even, we editorially, may not have the testimony that the world should see with regard to this, but it does work. It absolutely does work. The Lord shall make thee plenteous in, in goods. Those first 14 verses here in Deuteronomy 28 are so good that he had to write verse 47. 47 is involved in the curses. This is why God isn't pleased when we don't have these things or believe for these things. Uh-oh. Well, you read it. Part of the curse of the law, verse 47. 
well, there's 45, all these curses shall come upon thee, pursue you, overtake you. Verse 46, they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and upon your seed forever because, verse 47, because you served not the Lord your God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Tell me God doesn't want to bless you abundantly. Tell me that this message shouldn't be a part of what you believe. This is not an option. It is what God has given to us as a way of life. In 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That the end of your life, the times of your life, is constant success. You have your trials and difficulties. Yes, yes, yes. We don't leave that message out either. Let's don't set this one aside and forget it. Blessing is a part of God's plan for your life. Claim it. Lay hold of it. Quit complaining because I can't see it's going to happen. Just get in it and lay hold of it. Hold on to it and don't let go of it because that's the way it's supposed to be. Because you see, whenever you get this, there's a verse here in Deuteronomy 28. Look at verse 66. I'm afraid this is where so many people are in the church, charismatic or otherwise. I think this is where a lot of people really and truly are. I do. It's not because they haven't heard the word. It's just because they haven't hearkened to it. They haven't really truly desired it. But listen at this. This is why they have to be overloaded with insurance. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. And thou shalt fear day and night and shall have none assurance of your life. That's why you're talking about it. That's why you're calling people about it. That's why you fret about it. That's why you wonder about the cost of insurance and health insurance that's, that's, that's coming. And the people who manufacture all of that fit right in here, right here. They have no assurance of their life. Do we? Assurance that God will do for us simply because we believe what he's promised, that we, we can be well and healthy all of our life. One more verse and then you're done. Malachi. Go to the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Oh, we need an hour here. We need another hour. Take it. <laughs> Nobody said that. Malachi 3, verse 8, God's complaint is here to his people. He's not talking to the world. The world would ignore this. But God said to his people who are not doing well. This is what the Almighty says to his chosen people who are not doing well. As he said, as we've been talking. He said, will a man rob God they would think, well, I wouldn't think so. I mean, surely not. Yet he said, you've robbed me. And I could see him thinking, what? Where have you put anything that we've taken it, robbed it? He said, well, that's what he said. Wherein have we robbed you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. Again, tithes and offerings is not one word. 
one moment. It's two words, two different things. But they're both ways that Christians can rob God of what he wants. Notice he said, verse 9, because of this, you are cursed. That's why you're not doing well. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, he said, even this whole nation. Then he said, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. That would be to the priest, because that's all they get. You bringing it in is all they can count on, because they didn't get any land. They were not given any inheritance. Their object is to stand before God on your behalf, and yours is to take care of them. And he said that. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Would you like that? Wow. Not room enough to receive it? In other words, God exaggerates that for us to say, look, this is how God can do it. Obviously, it's the way he wants to. Back to the good measure, pressed down, shaken over thing, or the windows of heaven overflowing, the abundant life. That's what he said. See, the problem I think that we have is that we ponder these things. We haven't stayed with it as far as I'm going to get this and claim it and walk it out no matter how long because I believe it'll work for me too. Instead of doing that, we've heard it. Okay, I'm going to start tithing or whatever. I don't personally hold a tithing. I believe that was Old Testament. I believe as the Lord has blessed you, that's how you give in the New Testament. It's a faith thing. It's not a legal thing. It's a, you use your faith. But anyway, you begin to exercise your faith. You begin to, you know, as he says, as you measure it out, God will measure it out. Do you remember that? As you have sowed, so shall you reap. Lay aside the first day of the week as the Lord has prospered you. That was not a tie. That's personal between you and the Lord. It's a New Testament experience. And so when he talks about the windows of heaven opened up here and all these blessings coming up on you, he means that's how he wants to bless us. Now, whether we want to put him to the test or prove him or not, I don't know. But he said in verse 11, he said, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Whoever's robbing you, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he will not destroy the fruit of your ground or your vine cast their fruit before the time, saith the Lord. And again, all nations are going to call you blessed. That's your testimony. That's your testimony. Well, it's up to you. Amen. Close your Bibles. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, as we sit here before you tonight in preparation to leave, we acknowledge that your word is true, that all of our needs have been met in Christ Jesus that you will supply all of our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think because you're God. And that is one of the ways you've revealed yourself to us here tonight. I ask you to bless those here tonight, all of these people, especially the young ones who are just now getting it who are beginning to 
wage war with this world, deal with its difficulties. I ask you to bless them, Lord. Teach them how to lay all their problems at your feet and trust you. How to be a testimony to others, especially to their children who will grow up and realize that God has done this for my mom and dad. That we'll never as a church have to beg for anything or go to the world and plead for anything. But that we will, upon preaching the gospel, living the life, we'll be blessed. Just be blessed. Now grant us faith. Grant us that grace that brings faith. That we might rise up and put your, put your word to the test. Live according to what you've said. And then experience all these good things that you promised. There are people here, Lord, who are struggling financially, and I ask you to open their eyes to see this. And to rebuke the devourer, this spirit of poverty that holds them down and robs them and cheats them. I ask you to get that word in their heart, Lord. May your blessing rest upon all of those that are here tonight, those that listen, those that watch. In Jesus' name, amen.